0: Rituals are an important part of our lives and shape so much of our childhood, our young adulthood, and our spiritual life in the church as well, of course. And so today in the first segment, Bishop Frank is gonna talk about rituals, why they're important, and how to keep them going strong for yourself, for your family, uh, and, uh, and in the diocese and in the church. In the second segment, His Excellency is gonna talk about uh, November as the month of the Holy Souls. So for the the month of November, he's gonna talk about the four last things. Those are death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It's an important and timely conversation, so keep your radio right here at 1350 AM, or you can stay dialed in on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. As you probably know, on the app, you can listen to the live broadcast or you can grab podcasts of episodes you missed. Uh, you can grab the app if you go to the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations and Faith. And it's that time of year again. Foundations in Faith is now accepting applications for Youth in Action grants. The program will fund three diocesan initiatives that are by youth and for youth for up to $5,000. To be eligible, applicants must be members of a Catholic high school, a parish high school age youth group, or a Catholic young adult group. Applications must also emphasize evangelization, collaboration, or justice and equity for historically underserved populations in their proposed programs. You can find out more on the Foundations of Faith website. Applications are now live on the Foundations of Faith website, and they will close on November 19th at midnight. To learn more or to apply, visit foundationsinfaith.org and click on Youth in Action Grants at the top of the page. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. All right. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Good morning, Steve.
1: How Excellency, Buongiorno. Buongiorno, Buongiorno. <laughs> oh my gosh.
0: Well, we're we're here halfway through November almost. The air is mm-hmm. getting crisper. I mean, mm-hmm. gosh, mm-hmm. where did twenty twenty one go? <laughs>
1: I have no idea, but you what you consider crisp, I consider cold, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and since I'm wearing this little boot uh, with only a sock, I had to double the socks and I still am cold because my foot is exposed. I don't know how people do it. It's amazing to me. So so explain,
0: Excellency, something happened to your foot?
1: Oh yeah, I fractured a toe in two places uh, when I fell over my recliner uh, three weeks ago.
0: Oh my goodness. A more than
1: three weeks ago. It was the day we blessed the synod delegates and we blessed the um, uh, the ambassadors. So, you know, typical of, you know, the way I kind of look at life, it happened. And when I fell over, I heard a crack and I said, nah, it's my imagination. It's early in the morning. <sighs> so I chose to ignore the whole thing, put my shoe on, went to do all my masses, celebrate all the masses, came back, and it looked very colorful, my foot. And then I thought to myself, tomorrow's... Sunday. When am I going to get a doctor? So in the morning I get up, put my shoe back on, out we went. Oh my the confirmations goodness! Confirmations a mass. But then Monday I went to the podiatrist and it's fractured in two places. Gosh! So he gave me not a boot; it's like a sandal, <laughs> right? But sandals in November don't work. <laughs> if anybody was wondering, <laughs> not in At least Connecticut, not in New England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I'm oh, looking God. forward. He just told me two more weeks. I said, Oh, you're killing me.
0: Gosh, in the meantime, I know you've been all over oh my all gosh, over, it's so busy. It has
1: been so busy. And now coming up, of course, the bishops meeting, um, I had some travel, some flights. Um, of course, Christmas and Advent well I've been Christmas preparations in the diocese. It's yeah, um, it's just uh, CRS stuff. Uh, I think I'm traveling uh, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff. Let's Wow. That
0: That's wow. All right. are you going uh so before we get into the topic are you going uh to the bishop's meeting in person
1: yes it it is only in person i think yeah it's in person and you know there are meetings besides the meeting
0: right which is what you said was so important
1: right so this the administrative committee which i cannot go to because i'm flying to uh preside at the renewal of uh some marriage vows of a young couple that I was scheduled to celebrate, but because of COVID got rearranged, and I'm, and I'm very happy to do that. But I miss the administrative committee. We have evangelization catechesis, subcommittee on the catechism, courage. We have uh, a working breakfast with the bishops uh, who have publishers in the territories. We have the regular meetings. There's um, a lot going on.
0: There's a
1: lot going on.
0: Wow. <laughs> And in the midst of craziness, because everybody has crazy lives, maybe not as crazy as yours, Excellency, but everybody has crazy lives, in the midst of that, it's really important that we stay grounded by bringing certain rituals into our lives.
1: Correct. In fact, that's one of the two topics I want to talk about today, because it's been on my mind. And I think it's something that um, we really need to give great consideration to particularly as this digital environment begins to unfold. And allow me to to cast it in these terms. Uh, Let me give you the broader reason of why I think this is extremely important. You know, we had this symposium on technology and digital technology in particular last week. And I would think between the two days, there probably were about 80 or 90 individuals and the premise of that of that day, which was repeated in total twice, is extremely fascinating. Because the presenters, some of whom I know for a very long time, they are affiliated with the University of Notre Dame, they work together. Their premise is this: that since the beginning of what we will call recorded history, there have been five different epical periods, related to, okay, I'm going to say the transmission of knowledge, okay, uh, communication, let's put it that way. And we are in the midst now of shifting from the fourth to the fifth. The fourth being what they call electric, and the fifth being digital. And that transition would seemingly appear to be almost innocuous, well, what, what is the big deal? Because all our digital technology runs on electricity. So I mean, like, what is the issue? Like, what, what, what are we talking about here? Well, to understand the impact, you have to understand number three. Number three is the introduction of the printing press. The printing press made the reformation possible. The printing press, the church's response to the printing press was not a stellar response because it created the index of books because the church really could not figure out initially how to use this new technology for evangelization for the life of the church. Eventually we did, but we were behind the eight ball. And it revolutionized human society. The fourth period is electricity. Arrived from the electric light bulb to ultimately what was the height of it, which was television. Now you may say, what's the big deal with television? Well, you know what? for the first time in the history of humanity, fantasy, imagination, was the centerpiece of a lot of our attention. Because when you take out sports and take out news, the vast majority of television is made up. Right? Yes. And that, that kind of fabricates kind of like how you see the world. So you actually think Ozzy and Harriet are real or Archie Bunker is real, or the Honeymooners are real, when they're not. They're not. And so many others. And therefore, how they act influenced generations of people. So fantasy began to drive reality. Okay, Now, this fifth era is now an opportunity for the church to make its impact. Because with digital technology, what you really have is the ability of human beings to access the sum total of our knowledge handily, easily. You could go back and discover um, information at your fingertips that you would not have had in the era of television. So it's static. If you imagine a library of all human knowledge, it's now at our fingertips which was never true before, monumental change. But it's in a dynamic environment, which means you can search any way you want, you can navigate it any way you want, so there's a static and dynamic element to it. Now, why is that important? It's important because this is going to be the error to remember if we do it right. To remember what? to remember what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a community, which for Christians is different than the way secular society is moving forward, which is basically redefining the human person, human community in any way that pleases whoever happens to be there, okay? That remembering is phenomenally important And I'll give you one example of what I mean. I'll summarize it this way. We will rediscover some of the basic truths of the Middle Ages, which the contemporary world thinks is archaic, but they are actually more sophisticated than anything in the contemporary world we have come up with. More specifically, the understanding of the human person and the understanding of human community that existed in the Middle Ages. And at the center of that is St. Thomas Aquinas. And he was the leading scholar of the church for centuries precisely because of the synthesis that was created at the time of who is the human person, who is human community. We can remember this now. And I'll give you an example of what I mean people may not realize, but all the sciences, all the sciences came out of theology in the Middle Ages. Theology is the mother of all sciences. Now it's relegated to opinion and myth, not so. And theology gave the vision of what it means to human person and the human community, which eventually the sciences began to explore. But then when the premise shifted, right? then that is when those sciences began to go off and begin to understand human persons and human communities in different ways other than the original insight. And no one has critiqued it along the way. So it's almost like a freight train going over the cliff. Hmm. This is the moment when the church can say, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's remember and let's judge what we remember against what you have now and tell me which is more fruitful, which is more authentic, which is more truthful. Do you see my point? Yes. It is a moment of profound opportunity for just like the church in the patristic era, the church in what we call the dark ages maintained Western culture and the faith. In the middle ages, it was the church that flowered culture, arts, literature, and the sciences through the science of theology, right? And in the great missionary outreach of the 16th century, so too now, it is the church that can reestablish itself as some would say one of the leading voices. I will say the leading voice to call humanity to a real reckoning of what it means to be human, what it means to be part of a community, right? and digital technology can actually help us to remember. Phenomenal. So when we talk about rituals, why it comes to mind in my mind is because rituals are a form of, this is my definition, concrete remembering. Mm. Okay, let me ask you a personal question. Uh Uh-oh. You ready? (laughs) Yes. Do you have, a, and I'm going to use ritual in the, in the broadest sense. Do you have a routine? We call it a routine every yeah. morning, but it's really a ritual. Do you yeah. have one that kind of course. likes the same thing every day?
0: Yep. Yep. We just did it this morning. You know, uh, mm-hmm. alarm goes off. I get up. Mm-hmm. My wife stays in bed for, for the, mm-hmm. the, the moment, but I go up. I get my daughter up, get my son up, and then go mm-hmm. downstairs, put on coffee. It's like the same order of things every morning. Exactly. But that's, but
1: you see, order, it's a very interesting word. I have the same ritual too, exactly the same thing every day. And if I cannot, if I go to bed at night and judge that I cannot get this r- ritual routine done in the usual time I get up, which is about 4.30, I've gotten up as early as 3 a.m. to do it. Wow because it will not vary. Now you say, what is the big deal? Well, because I remember. What do I remember? I remember the things that are important because that's why they're in my ritual, my office, my morning prayer, my other prayers, my spiritual reflection, and celebrating mass. Without that, what type of priest would I be? Yeah. Okay, I remember what's important, but I also remember that I'm subconsciously part of a much larger enterprise. Like, it connects me to yesterday and the week before and the month before and the year before. And even though my ritual, my personal ritual has evolved as I've grown older, it's still connected. Right? That's extraordinarily important so that I don't consider myself um, to be the architect of everything I do. I'm 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 part of a much larger structure so when I sit and pray in the morning the office I am joining the voices of Christians everywhere okay it's bigger than me and my ritual preserves that another piece to this puzzle is we have rituals in the in like in our families too we've talked about that thanksgiving christmas advent those are so important Why? Because some of the things that even in my family we do, I remember my mother and father teaching me as a child. Some of those rituals, my mother remembers her mother teaching her as a child. There's a history there of remembering, like where we came from, and what we consider important. You know, it's funny. uh, At the house in Brooklyn, which was was you know willed to me, is ultimately for my family. My father had a ritual this time of year in November. Same exact thing we did every. All the screens came down. All the air, um, not the air, con- the screens came down. The hose had to be taken in. All the furniture was put away. And I added to it, since my father didn't have air conditioning, we take the air conditioners out. We seal the windows. You have to make sure the heating system is cleaned. All the rust is taken out. It's, so my father had it. He taught me, I've added to it. But every time I do it, Every year, I think of my father. It's almost as if my father is next to me doing it. Wow. So ritual is a part of remembering. Now, in the modern world, given the freight train that has been moving along the line for 150 years, we value creativity, imagination, innovation, which is wonderful. But you could be creative, innovative and find yourself all by yourself in some corner. Because suddenly nobody else followed. Then we talk about isolation. We talk about anxiety. Differentiated fear. But because everything in life is balance, So you need to be creative and imaginative, absolutely. But you also need to be rooted. You need to remember. You need to be connected. See, so ritual is extremely important. So now, the church has them, right? Let's let's leave the sacraments aside for a second. When you think of, for example, Advent, what are the rituals that come to mind, Steve? In your mind?
0: Oh gosh, Advent. Um, uh, what are the religious rituals that come to mind? Mm-hmm. Well, any rituals. Yeah. Any rituals? Um, uh, well, purple. <laughs> right. Purple's the first thing that comes to my mind. Right.
1: And, and we've been doing that for centuries. Mm-hmm. Right. What about the decorations of churches?
0: Yeah. Uh, with um, um, the red flowers, whatever they're called. Oh, gosh. The poinsettias, poinsettias. The poinsettias. Yes, yes.
1: No, and also the greeneries.
0: <laughs> yes. You see,
1: you see, in my mind, one of the rituals... I'll give you mine. Uh, For as long, as far back as I could remember as a little boy, I would have an Advent calendar that would be scotch taped on the refrigerator. And as a little boy, I was always fascinated with what was behind the door for the day. And before I left for school, right, that was the last thing we did before I left, and and we went down to St. Simon and Jude opened up the door of the Advent Mm. calendar. I am nearly ancient now, and I do the exact same thing, hanging in my kitchen in my little apartment at the seminary. I open that door before I walk out the door, right? That's a ritual, and what am I remembering? Am I remembering my boyhood? Yes, I'm also remembering the echo of the church's faith since the prophets of the Old Testament who were waiting I mean, if you see, if you want to be imaginative, it puts you into a much larger cast. It's no different. What we have lost ritually in many places is the Christmas novena.
0: Hmm.
1: The eight days before Christmas. And people who are fairly observant will notice that we start singing the O Antiphons. Yes. Eight days before Christmas because the O Antiphons marked the novena. That's a ritual. Right? But we've talked about decorating for Christmas. Decorating for Christmas can be a ritual. Right? And particularly in those households where, you know, a day kind of set it open. So, for example, I've mentioned many times Immaculate Conception, before then, forget it, there was no Christmas, but then after it was. Yeah. And it was a ritual because the tree went up first, the lights went up second. In fact, the more I think of it, the more intu- by intuition it was as close to the Christmas novena. It was around that time, okay. And then the baking was two or three days before Christmas, and every single one of those was something I look forward to, and I remembered. Now, what about children who are growing up, that families have become so busy and distracted that they don't have those rituals? How do you remember? How do, how do you come to Christmas with not just the conscious, but the subconscious and preconscious mind, your spirit ready to receive the gift? How do you do that? It becomes very difficult. Yeah. And the freight train of the secular world does not want us to remember. Because at the heart of everything that has happened, all right, in both... In secular society, what has happened is that at least on an economic plane, individuals, despite the advertising for Madison Avenue, individuals are centers of consumption. Business wants us to consume things, and everything is geared towards that. Whether the items become obsolete by intention after a few years, Right. Well, who has a washing machine that lasts thirty years anymore? My mother's first did. We've had three since. Right. Wow. Right? So it's no more. the heating system in the house in Brooklyn is original. It was built in nineteen thirty-one. Runs like a charm. Wow. Does that still exist? Right? So so that's part of it. It's and therefore the larger society doesn't have a vested interest that we remember. Because when we remember when we go back to the tradition, when we hear the echo of faith through all these centuries, people will start to intuit. It's not about gifts. Because the only gift that mattered came in Bethlehem. It's lovely to exchange gifts, but that's not the heart of what we're talking about. Right? So, this this symposium is kind of in my mind, just, it's, it has, excited me in a way I can't really quite begin to describe to you. Because if Christians would stop worrying about the weeds and we look at the big picture, this could be the moment when the church could say, let's use this technology, which is a blessing, let us remember, and let's talk.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, I've given a big speech. What do you think?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wonder, I mean, so I wonder if there's something... Uh, and you, pr- you might have something um, in the works that m- maybe you do or don't want to talk about yet, but something for the diocese on a mm-hmm. ritual level for all of mm-hmm. us. I mean, obviously there's the mass, and that's incredible when you think about, like you said, the mass has been handed down over centuries. It's mm-hmm. the same thing that Ignatius of Antioch celebrated, the great mm-hmm. English martyrs, mm-hmm. you know, the Japanese who did it in hiding in the 1600s, and, the, and, and us today.
1: <laughs> right. Right. That's, well, that is ultimately, because I'm glad you made the segue. Yeah. To answer your question, yes, there is much being planned. We'll talk about next year. But the ultimate ritual, the ultimate remembering, the ultimate connection, the ultimate guardrail that will prevent us from going off the cliff, is six words. Do this in memory of me. It's as simple as that. And to your point, from the upper room to now, in an almost uncountable measure, the memory of the Lord's death and resurrection, which makes the event in grace real, present, in an unbloody way, is the only lifeline, that makes us who we are. Everything else flows from it. So to get to it, you need to be baptized, and those, please, God, are confirmed. From it, you could be married and receive a vocation to priesthood, diaconate, or religious life. It's from there, in the sacrament of the sick, that you receive the Eucharist, which is the viaticum, unto eternal life. And you need to have your sins forgiven so you can receive it worthily. In the end, it is the focal point of all things Christian, all things Catholic. And it's all about a living, graced, divine memory. And it's a ritual that has changed over the years. You've heard me say, we've talked about it. I mean, from what they celebrated in the Upper Room, to what um, was done in the early church, to what was codified in Trent, to what we're doing now has elements of continuity through the whole thing, but has also responded to the needs of the time, right? And it has to continue to do that. But if anybody doubts the importance of ritual, anybody doubts the importance of memory, then I'm not sure why you're going to mass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, imagine though, imagine, I have to stop because I'm getting myself all excited. (sighs) Can you imagine? The father of evil has tried to put the church on the sidelines and make us irrelevant. And, of course, as he always does, in his great arrogance that is trying to drive humanity to a definition of the human person and the definition of human community that is not humanizing, but actually is hurting the individuals around. This is our moment to reassert why we exist. To be the great defender and guardian of the truth and when people hear the truth they will follow Mm -hmm. amen so
0: it's time it's time to remember Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. on that note let's take a quick break and uh you're listening to let me be frank on the veritas catholic network and we will be right back
2: If you're concerned about your end of life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option five to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select Option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network. We are going to transition now, Excellency, to... um, Because we made, yes, yes. So it's it's not a hard transition. It's just a slight shift. But we've you know we're here in the month of November, and it's the month of the souls, and so. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely, and um. And therefore, it's interesting. First, my first observation is, the church has always intuited. In this time of year. To pray for the dead Mm -hmm. because this is the the period at least in the northern hemisphere where um, fall leads to winter and an appearance of death until the spring comes when there is new life again and november is the month to pray for the repose in fact pope francis has allowed the indulgence to be extended from all souls day through the entire month of november for those who do pray for the dead Uh, Our cemeteries are places of repose, sacred places, prayerful places, places of consolation and peace. They ought to be places of beauty so that we can remember the promise that Christ gave to us. We live in a world that wants to, again, like everything else, the freight train, as I call it, wants us to hide death It actually tries to hide old age too. And that's something people need to reflect on because there are many cultures in the world that respect the elderly and see them as a centerpiece of society. In the East, that is very much the case. In the West, we have not always we have not really fully developed the, the intuition that the Holy Father wants us to, with his day of the elderly and the day of, of grandparents. So, of course, we pray for the dead. We pray that they will rest in eternal peace. We pray for those who are undergoing purification, that in God's mercy that process will be complete and they will enter into the glory of heaven. But, the, but what I want to talk about is us in relation to the dead. That is, we, you and I, all of us listening, will enter the mystery of death one day. Let's think about that for a second. Let that marinate a bit in our consciousness, all right? How often do we actually consider that in our lives? Daily life, today for example. All right, we're we're taping in the morning.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So I've been up for a while. It hasn't crossed my mind once. Yesterday, yes, because I wasn't feeling too well. So it, it kind of <laughs> fleetingly crossed my mind. Okay. Has it crossed your mind?
0: Not actively. I wear this. Uh, I don't know if you can see that, Excellency. But oh, yes, it's okay. uh, a skull for a memento mori. But um, no, I mean today I didn't think. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna die at some point. <laughs> Yeah.
1: So anyway, why do you wear that bracelet? Tell us.
0: So this is my, uh, my rosary, and uh, there are two skulls on the end of it for memento mori, which is the uh, Latin for remember you will die. So it's supposed to be a See? reminder to me, yeah. So my friend, you are actually ahead of the game for most Christians.
1: Because even if you glance at it, somewhere in your consciousness, you are recollecting the fact that that is your earthly terminus right? The mystery of death. And I think it would be really helpful for us in this month to spend a little time, you and I and our listeners, Mm -hmm. reflecting on what that mystery opens up for us. There are some that I have known that have died in tremendous peace, ready to embrace death. I'm sure you may have known people like that. And then I've known people who have struggled with it up to the point of their dying, right? For whatever reason. And it's not necessarily the, the, the lack of courage to, to leave this world. It's, their, it's the anxieties and the, and the worries they have for the people they leave behind, particularly children, mm-hmm. particularly if they're young children. You know, it's heartbreaking to consider a parent having to leave through the mystery of death and leaving children to another spouse. And, you know, so it, it's, it, I've seen the reactions in every way in between. So, so this is not meant to be an emotional exercise. It's just really meant to be a theological reflection on the mystery. So what happens when we die? You've heard about these near-death experiences, right? Right? And yes. people who come back, quote unquote, and all the rest. Now, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what the meaning of all of that is. The fact that there is a real continuity of the story, there seems to be a consistency of the story, is very interesting. Mm-hmm. There are some who say that those experiences are actually a glimpse into the, the life that awaits us. And there are others who are secularists who say that is just the mind beginning to shut down and it will shut down the same way because our minds are made the same way. Right. And I think the truth is somewhere in between, to be honest, because I think the, the, the natural part of the, of the dying process is something we will all share. On the other hand, glimpsing something beyond that process is divine. It speaks to what will happen when we fully cross into the mystery of new life. So the fact that people feel consoled, the fact that they see a light, the fact that they feel as if they they, they want to go, many of them, right? Isn't that the, how the stories yeah. go?
0: Yeah.
1: Right? It, it, it's, it's It tells you that there is something greater. There's something consoling. There's something that that the human heart wants and desires, right? In some way, shape, or form. So I don't think they glimpse eternal life, but I think they're glimpsing the natural process that leads to the the divine process of entering into eternal life, right? So we should not dismiss it at all, right? Yeah. But what happens when we cross? We enter into God's presence. What's the first thing that comes to mind, my friend?
0: Judgment. Oh, (laughs) talk to me about that. You said that very quick, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're American or Armenian or rich or poor or good person or bad person, you're going to face death and you're going to face judgment. Right. Who judges? Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: In what context?
0: In what context? Um... He, uh, gosh, so he's he's judging us based on um, how we followed him and loved one another. Right. That's the content, right. Okay. But I guess I, I want you to
1: see it in, in, in a slightly different way. Jesus, the Lord, in our individual death will pass an individual, or what the Catechism calls, a particular judgment on each of us. Yes. His heart is one of pure love. So Jesus, in a sense, affirms in judgment the choice we made in death, by our life and death. Because we have this image, some people have this image, and they use it to dissuade people from faith in the Lord, to say that he is a, you know, it's almost like a vengeful judge that opens a book, weighs the, the scales, and says, okay, you're out. <laughs> right? But in fact, it's it's really in the end, the culmination of the Lord's love for us, that he ratifies what we have chosen. right? So if the judgment is to eternal damnation, we chose that by the life we lived he doesn't he he allows it to become our penalty all right and that is the judgment but in the end if we fall short it's because we have acted in a way that has made that our inheritance
0: does that make sense yeah it does excellency i mean in in reality though we all, we all fall short, though. I mean, we, none of us could merit heaven as good as we could be here on earth. Only
1: Our Lady did.
0: Right. Right, Yeah. But, right. but, you're, but you're saying it's, it's the choices that we make along right. the way. Yeah. It, it's actually, that is why it's a
1: very important for us to consider the difference between mortal and venial sins. Because venial sins are the transgressions you're talking about. My goodness, I must have, I, I, who, who knows how many? Good Lord. I mean, the purgatory is going to be a long haul for me. But I mean, <laughs> right? But, um, but there is an openness, a fundamental openness to God. Mortal sin is best described as acts that close that fundamental openness. That are so contrary to the will of God, chosen consciously, freely, Right? in such a way that you break your relationship with God, it's that rupture right, that when we could stand in judgment, if that was the way our life was lived, is that if that is the way we died, then in that moment, God is not going to say, well, I'm going to overrule your free will. Mm-hmm. We inherit in judgment what we lived. So the vast majority of people, please God, all right, are not guilty of that. But if you are, there is nothing else to do because it came from your own hands my own hands right so i think that's an excellent distinction to make right you know that image on the sistine chapel of jesus with his hand up and our lady looking at him saying, oh please don't
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> right but he, but he has love gives him no choice yeah in a sense right because he wouldn't really love us if he didn't allow us to inherit what we chose, because our freedom is the re- is the ability for us to love in the first place. It would eradicate all our acts of love if we were not free, right? So that particular judgment is something everyone needs. That's what your two skulls are. Everyone needs to keep in mind, because when you enter into the mystery of death, that awaits each of us. Yes. And then, depending on the judgment, there are three possibilities. Yep. Heaven, hell, and purgatory. Okay, So, as you mentioned, Our Lady was the only human being who entered, through her assumption, into the glory of heaven, body, and soul. Because she was without sin, and the consequences of sin. All the rest of us are in a different camp. Because we are guilty of sin, venial sin, vast majority of times, And the consequences that come from that sin, the harm that was done because we did what we did. And you can look no different than, for example, gossip, where you can't undo some of the stuff you and I and our listeners may have said about other people that has done irreparable harm. Are we not responsible for that? Or we just make believe that doesn't exist when it does, in fact, exist, right? So heaven is, uh, you know, heaven is the state of life where we are in complete communion with God, we enter into the mystery of divine life, we share that life perfectly, we call that heaven. It's the fulfillment of every human desire. It's the ultimate happiness. It's the fulfillment of who we are for all eternity. We speak of the beatific vision well, even when we enter into the life of the Trinity, we're looking upon the beauty and the love of God. It's almost as if you look upon, in an analogy in life, someone that you find beautiful, all right? Your wife that you find beautiful. And imagine that that impulse to be attracted to that beauty is permanent and complete and everlasting. That's what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's just very hard to describe, right? Yeah. But as we've said many times, for those of us who have been guilty of, of venial sin, we need to be purified. So that is what purgatory is. But it's very interesting. When I was a little kid, when I was a young child, I'm sure the same is true. When we were taught where heaven was, and we, we you know, point up, <laughs> right. right? Or purgatory, what was the image we had? Fire suffering, Ebenezer Scrooge, big Hmm. chains, right? Big, you know, uh, boxes, heavy, dragging, right? Heaven is a state of life, not a place per se, okay? It's an existence with God because God has no place per se. He is in all things, in all places. So It isn't a physical reality, is what I mean by place. It's not a physical reality. It's metaphysical. It's beyond the physical. Purgatory, therefore, is not a place in the same sense. Right. It's a state of existence leading to the blessedness of heaven. Right? So let's explore this whole idea of suffering in purgatory. Where do you think that comes from, Steve? How do you make sense of it? What's your thought?
0: Where does it come from? I mean, for me, it comes from the Old Testament and mm-hmm. from uh, 1 Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, even beyond the scripture, it just, it just makes sense because heaven is, as you said, it's, uh, it's perfect, it's pure, and so nothing impure can enter heaven. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, that's, that's from Revelation 2. Nothing mm-hmm. unclean shall enter heaven. So uh, in order for us, if we we aren't headed to hell and we're headed to heaven, but we're not yet purified and we're not yet perfected, then we need to go someplace for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that's purgatory.
1: Yeah, I think that's very well said. In the end, the image of purifying fire is the image that comes from sacred scripture because that is how you take impurities out of gold. Right? You pl- place it into the... It was a fire gold, what was it? Fire, tried gold. It's what we speak of in Scripture. Yes. The impurities are burned out of it. Right? Now, we cannot understand that fire in the same sense as fire on earth. Right? It's different. No different than the fire of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles was not the fire of this world. Okay? But the fact that there is, is a purification... And a purification that may, in some sense, require continual change until there is complete purification. And that change will extract a cost, is without a doubt. Because in the end, I want to use this image, when we sin, it's almost like we cling to a chosen evil or a mistaken good, right? And sometimes to pry those fingers (laughs) takes effort to let it go. And the purification that we're talking about is to let it all go, right? So you can enter into heaven without it because with it you can't get through, if I could use that image, right? The other is there has to be atonement for what you did, right? And that is a mystery I'm not exactly sure even how to explain. But that there are consequences that need to be atoned for, and there has to be some level of punishment, if I could use that word, to make up for that. Makes sense, right? Because you can't enter heaven without purification and without a rendering an account of the consequences of what you did. And that I leave into the mystery of God, how to explain, because I'm not exactly sure how to explain that in a spiritual existence, which is what you would be at that point. But that it makes sense and that we believe it, I think is without a doubt, it's indisputable. Right. Right? Yep. And that is why in this month of November, we pray for the dead. Well, we pray for the dead all the time. In fact, every time we go to Mass, we pray for the dead, don't we? In the Eucharistic prayer? Yes. We pray for all the deceased, right? Because our prayers can help in that purification process. Our prayers can help with the atonement of the consequences of what happened. And again, if you were to ask me mechanically how that happens, um, I would be hard-pressed to explain it in great detail because it's part of the mystery we're talking about. But the analogy I would use is simply to say, Steve, if you were in need, and you called me up and said, Bishop Frank, I need your help, I'd get in my car and go help you. Because you're a brother in faith, you're a member of of the mystical body of Christ. Well, the dead are too, those in purgatory are part of the mystical body of Christ. So if the church has since the Maccabees before the church even founded, has been making atonement for the dead. We do it because our prayers in the constellation of the life of who we are makes a difference. Yes. So for example, since my mother died, the day my mother died, the 11th of January, 2011, to this day, in every single mass I have celebrated, in the prayer of the faithful, when we pray for our special intentions or our personal needs, I have remembered my mother and father in every single mass. Prior to my mother's death, I would pray for my mother, my father, every week, because I offered mass for him every week. But now I don't offer mass for either of them, particularly. But I remember them at every mass because yeah. I think those prayers make a difference.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah, And that is one of the great privileges I have of being a priest and now a bishop is because uh, God gives me the opportunity to offer mass every day. <laughs> yeah. And, and then there is, dun, 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 dun. Heaven?
0: Hell. Hell, oh, <laughs> I thought we talked hell. about hell. We're gonna talk more about hell? No, 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 we <laughs> talked about heaven. We didn't talk about hell. Okay. <laughs> okay so what's hell tell me hell is uh separation from god for all of eternity and since god is love and god is the source of all good you're missing all of that forever right right
1: amen basically does it exist yes does the father of evil want us to tempt us to believe it doesn't exist yes and the answer is it's a lie it does exist right? There's lots of controversy. Bishop Barron a few years ago had had quoted, I think it was von Balthasar who said, you know, there is a hell and can we hope, dare to hope that no one is in it? Um, The truth of the matter is we don't know who's in it. We don't know ultimately who has been condemned by their own actions,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. right? To live eternal separation from God. But that it exists and that there are people in it I have no doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. And, you know, as a kid that used to scare the blazes out of me. I'm not sure it scares many people anymore. And while it doesn't exist to scare people, it should be a sober reminder that our decisions make a difference. Yeah. They could actually make an eternal difference. Mm-hmm. And the image of fire has always been associated with hell. I think Dante's image was cold, right? It was it was yes. almost like an eternal freeze because in both cases, right it's it's the the ultimate warping of love. For if in fact we're made in the image and likeness of God, then the sum total of who we are is best expressed in who God is and God is love. So if you turn your back on love permanently, then you are like, one of two images, as cold as ice or like an engine that's running with no oil and what does it do? It burns up. Either way, you are in an eternal contradiction of who you were meant to be.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, that is scary in some way, shape, or form. At least in, to me, it's scary.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> when the children of Fatima saw the vision of hell, mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were so moved that mm-hmm. they started making sacrifices and praying for the conversion of sinners like constantly. Mm-hmm. 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 Exactly,
1: yeah, exactly. It's something that we again soberly in faith should consider, right? And then of course to, to end this conversation we have the last judgment. that, of course, is the moment where Christ returns in glory as judge of the living and the dead, and the dead will rise from their graves, and those who are living at that moment will all, and then there is the universal judgment, and that is when all creation, all the universes, all the multiverses, everything astronomy talks about, (laughs) everything, all creation, everything, everything will be brought to this moment of, of judgment. The groaning of creation will be healed. Love's victory will be complete. And those who have fundamentally and definitively turned their back on love will remain in eternal
0: contradiction, right? Forever. Interesting, no? Yeah, yeah. So bodily death, though, as you're saying, I mean, as long as we try to follow the Lord (laughs) um, is nothing to be scared of because because you know as uh, as Paul wrote for me to live is Christ to die is gain
1: what I doubt And, and in the last judgment there is a bodily resurrection therefore our life in glory for those entering into heaven will be complete because we will be glorified body, soul, and spirit. So we will be like the master
0: Hmm.
1: in his resurrection. And then the only question I often wonder to myself is, what about the rest of creation? And I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know. But all of creation is an expression of God's love in some way. He saw it was good. And that, I think we're going to have to wait till the end to find out. So we'll leave a little suspense
0: (laughs) (laughs) until that day. But in the meantime, pray for each other. Pray for the dead. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Amen. Yeah. Okay, Excellency, let's take one final break. We'll be back on the other side with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency... Okay, here is this week's question. Mm-hmm. Bishop Frank, would you please explain the lowering of the age for, commu- for confirmation? I mm-hmm. always thought this was a sort of passage to Catholic adulthood.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a tremendous question, an important one, which in the exhortation that I'm writing will be addressed. It's part of the renewal strategy for the diocese. But let me just say just a few things. Um, it, the confirmation is the confirming of baptism. And traditionally was at the age of reason, which was seven or eight years old. Because pr- prior to Pius X, Confirmation was at the older age. Uh, uh, c- communion was at the older age, not Confirmation. The three steps of initiation were Baptism, the confirming of Baptism, and then Holy Eucharist. And things got shifted. So then Confirmation, out of order, began to take on this notion that you're preparing for adulthood. What I... I'm very concerned about is that it's perceived as graduation because we hold the sacrament over the head of our young people, many of whom are there because they want to receive the sacrament and then leave. And the evidence is there. They are leaving, sometimes 95% of them you don't see anymore. So that's one concern I have. The second concern I have is both on a psychosexual level as well as a social level young people beginning in the 7th grade are in a very different place than young people the people who are younger and our methodology of instructing and just perhaps offering them opportunities of service is insufficient we need a new way to minister to these young people which we are exploring now that will include academic spiritual recreational athletic for those who want it, service, right? The transcendental of beauty. And do it in a way that includes a bit of the classroom and so many other opportunities so that when it comes to the theology of the body, the temptations that they face with sexuality online and everywhere else they go, for the questions of faith and reason that they struggle with, with this idea of serving, but serving in the name of Christ, all those things we will explore with them. Now, the reason of lowering the age is to give them the grace of the Holy Spirit in the sixth grade and then introduce them to this ministry. Now, will everyone stay? No. Will many stay? The hope is yes, because if we do it right, they'll see it as an attractive option. And then we will start to rebuild. Then we're going to give these young people the tools they need to go out into the world and not have the world chew them up. That's the goal. Yeah. And the age is being lowered in the future once this
0: model has been tested and in place.
1: I'm excited about it. We'll talk about it more another day.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's part of a bigger uh, right. plan that you have. Oh, right, great. Okay, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thanks for a great show again this week. And uh, would you please give us your blessing?
1: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Steve, next week we'll be together, right? Yes. To tape, I'll be at the USCCB meeting, so we'll have lots to talk about.
0: Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Stay healthy and watch your foot. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Take care. God bless.